If you would, take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 55, the 55th Psalm. And as you're turning there, this Psalm is talking about David and troubles. Now, I think everybody in here knows what troubles are, except Sophie and Kinsley. Of course, they probably have their own troubles at times, too. But I think we all have troubles. We all know what troubles are. It's a part of every person's life. I remember as I was thinking about this, about how we all have troubles, you remember the song, it's old spiritual, Nobody knows the troubles I sing. Nobody knows but Jesus. You know who made that popular? Louis Armstrong. He had a real kind of rough voice. And, uh, you know, a lot of truth to that. Nobody really knows what troubles you've got, the depths of those troubles, how they cause different problems within your own soul. And the Lord knows, though. But sometimes our troubles come because of our sin. But sometimes our troubles come because of our faithfulness. You know, troubles come for a lot of different reasons. God uses those in different ways. Their troubles and difficulties in life, they're often instruments of discipline that God uses in our lives. And He's got a purpose and He's got a plan for it. Psalm 55, what would you see? It fits in a particular time in the historical books in the Word of God. I think it fits perfectly in 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18. Now, we're not going to take the time to read 2 Samuel chapter 13 all the way through chapter 18. But what you find there is when Absalom rebels and tries to take the throne and David flees Jerusalem. Now, if you think about it, 2 Samuel 13 through 18, that section where there's that rebellion and all the problems, that stemmed from... 2 Samuel chapter 11. You remember in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's where David saw Bathsheba. And David took Bathsheba. And then David had Uriah the Hittite, her husband, killed. Think about it with me just for a moment. You would not have probably 2 Samuel 13 through 18 if the situation with David and Bathsheba had not happened. I find that very interesting. The same principle as Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 where David is confessing his sins. You know what? If that sin was not in his life, those probably would not be recorded. But I want you to notice how God takes something and though it was evil, God can bring something good out of it. That shows how magnificently God works at times, way beyond how we can make a situation come out for the better. But God is at work even in the midst of our troubles. I want you to notice this is basically divided into three different sections. It's 23 verses. The first eight verses talk about David's distress. He's basically thinking about himself and the problems, the situation that he's involved in. In verses 9 through 15, what you see is David's indignation. In other words, he's more thinking about his enemies. And notice the progression here. When you get to verse 16 down to verse 23, 
you see the confidence that David has. Now, what he does in verses 16 through 23, he thinks upon God. Notice that progression. He's thinking about himself and his situation. He is thinking about his enemies, and then he's thinking about God. Good thing it don't work the other way. You're in a world of trouble if you think about God first, and then, you think, then your mind goes from God, and you forget, and then you go to your enemies, and then you think about me. Woe, woe is me. That's often how we do. We end up with a pity party when we got in a bad situation. But David takes that situation, and he, he goes over that situation, then he thinks about those that are against him, and then he, then he concentrates upon the Lord. Now, that's a good order to take things, and we'll see why as we go through this passage of Scripture. I want you to notice the first eight verses. What David does, he talks about his distress and the problems that he's having. I want you to notice in verse 1, 2, and 3, it says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Because the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for your, they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. I find it very interesting as David is calling out to God, you notice he says he's pleading with God to give ear to his prayer. He's speaking, but he needs an ear to hear. And then he's asking God, don't hide yourself from my supplication. Has there ever been times when you had trouble, and it seems like when you pray... It's just not getting through. I feel there's a disconnect. He keeps pleading with God, attend unto me, hear me. I'm mourning in my complaint and I'm making a noise. What is it that makes us, when we pray, feel like we need to pray? Plead out to God even harder because we feel like God's not hearing our prayer. Think of David's situation. This is happening while he's on the run. The rebellion of Absalom has taken place. If you were in David's shoes, what you would be thinking about more than likely is the sin that led to all this. Even though he has confessed his sin... He's right with God. Sin always has consequences. And so David, as he's praying, he senses that possibly his sin has still separated him from God. There's probably some doubt there with his prayer. Therefore, he pleads unto God. He cries out to God. He begs God to attend to him. He begs God to hear him. He, he's mourning He's in dire straits. It's a sad situation when you feel like God's not hearing your prayer. God does hear his prayer, but I want you to notice in verse 3, he says, because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me and in wrath they hate me. The enemy his foes, those that were against him. You remember it was Absalom that turned the hearts of the people away from David to himself. 
This word oppression very simply means an outcry. David is saying because of the voice of the enemy and because of the oppression of the wicked or the outcry of the wicked, Absalom is leading this outcry against David. David knows that. And yet, what we find in verses 4 and 5, as this cry is going out against David, Absalom's wanting to usurp the throne, even if it means killing his dad so he can have the throne, there is this outcry, and it's like the nation is turning against David. David tells about his situation in his own personal life. He says in verse 4 and 5, My heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. David's in a situation where he is almost like he's having nightmares. He's reflecting back upon 2 Samuel 11. You can imagine if you plotted to kill somebody and they're dead and you've got their wife. You can imagine the horrors and the nightmares David was sweating through. It's almost like he was thinking of the ghost of Uriah past. And Uriah is continuing to haunt him. He says he's in anguish. This anguish, it means to be tied in knots or to be twisted. His heart is sore pained or in anguish. His heart is all twisted up and in knots. You see, though David is forgiven, he's suffering the consequences of his past. Something very interesting, if you ponder the thought, what David is going through, he feels like death is clothing him. There's fearfulness and trembling and horror, and he's being very descriptive. The situation that's happening, Absalom is taking the throne. When our sin has been forgiven, what is vitally important at that time is how do you respond to the consequences of your sin? The sin has happened. God has forgiven you. But when the consequences from that sin are the fruits of what happened, how do you respond to that? Case in point. If a young man got a girl pregnant, they repented of the situation. How they respond to the consequences is vital. Some people automatically think abortion. That's not the right way to think, but if they think like a human, they're thinking they're going to cover their sin so nobody else will know it. Your mind can be very irrational when it comes to sin. How do you react to the consequences? 
we need to go to the Lord, seek His guidance. One thing we don't take into consideration when we sin, small sins, even the small sins that we sin can set the wind in motion. And when the wind of sin starts in motion, what happens? You're going to reap the whirlwind. You reap what you sow. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to of the flesh reap corruption. It's what the Word of God tells us. God's Word gives us warning. David, you can see just in these first five verses, he's in turmoil. He's got major problems. So what's a good solution? Here's David thinking. Look in verse 6 and verse 7. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. What David desires, he desires peace. He's in a place of very much turmoil within his life. So, oh, if I could only have some peace. If I could only be in a place where there's no trouble. If I only had wings like a dove, I could fly away. Then I could rest from all this trouble. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness, Selah. What do you think about that? You know what? He's thinking back. You remember when he was on the run and ran to the wilderness earlier in life? That's when Saul was chasing him. Here's a whole different situation. God protected him in that wilderness when he was running from Saul. It worked when he ran from Saul. So he's thinking, I'm going to run again. I'm going to run away from my circumstances and I'm going to run away from my situation. Now let me ask you a Honest question. Have any of y'all ever wished you could run away from a situation that's happening in your life? (laughs) Oh, if I had wings like a dove, man, I'd fly away. I'd go to the wilderness. I'd be in solitary. I'd have peace, no trouble. You've probably thought about that. But let me tell you something. Wherever you go, if you do not work through your problems and your troubles, you just take your troubles with you. Now, David is older in life at this point. He don't run like he used to. He don't survive in that wilderness like he used to. He's, he's been in the palace. He's got running problems. David realizes he can't run from the problem. He says in verse 8, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. I'd hasten my escape and I'd have calmness and peace. Ah, that's what we want. We want some peace and quiet. Now when you get to verse 9, verse 8 and 9, there's a gap there. Here, Here is the There's not even a transition from verse 8 to verse 9. Verses 1 through 8, David's looking at himself and looking at his situation and he's crying out to God because here's the problem. He's in a heap of trouble. He wants to run away. I want you to notice in verses 9 through 15, 
What you see is David as the king being outraged at what he's seen. In other words, he's not going to run. Although he's already run, between verses 8 and 9, he took those wings and flew. He went into the wilderness. He's running away from Absalom. He leaves behind all his concubines, all his wealth. He leaves behind the palace. He leaves behind everything, and he's on the run. As he's on the run, I want you to notice, he sees chaos in the city. You can imagine the leader leaving. There is an aku, so to speak, a rebellion. You can imagine the chaos going on in Jerusalem. So what David does, notice what he says in verse 9, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. David's saying there's chaos there in the city. Day and night they go about upon the walls thereof, mischief also and sorrow in the midst of it. When David fled Jerusalem, you remember the high priest Zadok. He came and brought the Ark of the Covenant to David. You remember what David told Zadok to do? Return it to the city. In other words, he didn't need a symbol of God's presence. He needed the Lord. Zadok takes the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Then what you find, there is someone else that comes to David, Hushai. You remember who Hushai was? He was one of the counselors of David. He's the one that offered David advice at times, but he was not number one as far as the counselors. Does anybody remember the number one counselor? Ahithophel. Ahithophel, now think about this, took sides with Absalom. He turned on David. David and Ahithophel were like this. They were tight. They were very close friends. But notice what David says in verse 9, Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. In other words, make their counsel go in different directions. The reason David sent Hushai back to Jerusalem is that he might undermine the counsel of Ahithophel. Now that's very interesting. Because Jerusalem's situation, it's in much turmoil. There's chaos. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. They're in a terrible situation. David is acting as king now. And he's starting to plan how to thwart Absalom and Ahithophel. Notice it talks about Ahithophel. And basically what Ahithophel does, he's, create, he's actually carrying out treason against David. David says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. In other words, David knew how to fight his enemies. David had been a warrior all his life. He knew how to handle that. But this was not an enemy. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man mine equal, my God, mine acquaintance, 
Ahithophel was David's God. He gave him counsel. He was his close friend. We took sweet counsel together. We walked into the house of God in company. In other words, they went to worship the Lord together. They walked together. They talked together. They were the closest of friends. And that Ahithophel was David's confidant. Ahithophel, it was spoken of in the word of God, he was as a man that had inquired at the oracle of God. In other words, if you wanted right counsel that would never fail, God always brought his counsel to pass, you go to Ahithophel, David's closest friend. So can you imagine Ahithophel going against David? You know what? Can you imagine how bad that would hurt if you had your closest friend stab you in the back? Your closest friend turn on you and want to see you killed? Why would Ahithophel go with Absalom? Let me tell you, if you read in the historical books there, what you find, Ahithophel had a son. His son was named Iliam. Iliam was the father of Bathsheba. In other words, David had Ahithophel's son-in-law killed. And he took his granddaughter to wife. You can understand the bad blood that was boiling in Ahithophel's heart. In other words, he wanted vengeance and he wanted to see David taken away, taken out. David knew how to fight his enemies. But here is a very close friend. The closest of friends. So what does David do? Look in verse 15. He says, let death seize him. Seize upon him. Let him go down quick into hell. For wickedness is in their dwellings. And among them, David desires for them to be taken out. This is what you would call an imprecatory part of a psalm where he desires to see them being wiped off the face of the earth. Let them be taken out quickly. Little did David know that's going to happen very quickly as far as in the story. If you look back in 2 Samuel 13 through 18, God does take Absalom out quickly. And do you remember what Ahithophel did? When Hushai undermined his counsel... Ahithophel recommended this, and Hushai recommended that. Absalom liked Hushai's counsel better. And you know what Ahithophel did when Absalom did not take his counsel? The Word of God says over in 2 Samuel 17, he went out and he hung himself. He committed suicide. He was so full of himself that when his counsel was turned down... He went out and killed himself. Well, you know what? It sounds a lot like the one who betrayed Jesus in the New Testament. Judas was a close friend. He walked with the Lord. Judas went out and hung himself. In verses 16 through 23, as you come to the close of this psalm, David is confident 
in God. As he prays, I want you to notice how David prays unto God and knows that God's going to answer his prayer. In other words, he has turned from looking at himself, looking at those that are his foes, and looking now, he's looking to God. In verse 16, he says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. In other words, he's not hoping the Lord will save him. He's saying he shall save me. David knows with confidence as he's praying that God's going to save him. He says, evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. That's not the confidence he had at the first of this psalm. When he was contemplating running, then he took off running. Here now he's settled. And his prayers are consistent. His prayers are bold. It's a prayer of faith because he believes God is going to hear. God's going to save him and God's going to hear his voice. In verse 18, He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. Notice here, David is saying something that has not happened yet. He's delivered my soul, past tense, It's as good as my soul already being delivered. How could David confidently pray that? Very simply because of the faithfulness of God. And God had already promised him the throne. God would not let Absalom take the throne and do wickedly at Ahithophel's wicked counsel. Ahithophel told Absalom to go into his father's concubines in front of all of Israel and bring shame to your father. That was shameful counsel. God's not going to honor that. I want you to notice he was confident that God would answer. So confident, he says that he's delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many with me. Many started coming over to David's side through time. In verse 19, the word of God says, God shall hear. And it says, God shall afflict them, even he that abides of old, Selah. God abides forever. He does not change, and because of his faithfulness, David has confidence. But concerning those that are against him, he says, because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. In other words, Absalom, Ahithophel, And all those who've been swayed by their counsel, they have not changed. They've not been repentant. And because they're unrepentant, they're going to be destroyed. In verse 20, what we see, is another description of Ahithophel. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. Ahithophel put forth his hands against David. David was at peace with him. He broke the covenant of that friendship and that relationship, the bonds that they had. Ahithophel broke all that. There was nothing sacred 
to Ahithophel. He turned on David quickly. Then in verse 21 he says, Concerning Ahithophel, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter. That's pretty smooth. Anybody know how smooth butter is? Pretty smooth. But war was in his heart. His words were softer than all, yet they were drawn swords. In other words, he was deceitful with his language, and his heart was far from them. This deceitfulness that Ahithophel was displaying, David found comfort in the Lord. And what he gives next in verse 22, I believe is about the soundest advice you can give to everyone when you're in trouble. And your troubles are overweighing you and overwhelming you and you feel like you want to be like a dove that takes wings and flies away to the wilderness. Here is the key to a contented Christian life, a consistent Christian life, a joyful Christian life. Cast your burden, your trouble upon the Lord. Cast your problems upon the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. It is better that you cast your burden upon the Lord than for you to seek vengeance. You hear David's advice. David, inspired by the Spirit of God, cast your burden, cast your trouble, your problems upon the Lord. And it's God who is our sustenance. He is the one that sustains us. He shall never suffer or allow the righteous to be moved. The judge of all the earth will do right. Let him do what seems good. I want you to notice how the psalm ends. But thou, O God, shall bring them down into the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Just a few days later, Absalom dies, Ahithophel dies. Their lives are gone from the face of this earth. You see David crying out to God. Prayer is not about getting your way. It's about submitting to him and letting him work his way. Sometimes we need an attitude change. God can bring things in our lives that definitely adjust our attitudes, can't he? Here's what he does. Psalm 55. Some of the best advice you can ever apply to your life when you've got troubles and sorrows and you're overwhelmed, you're burdened, cast your burdens upon the Lord and he shall sustain you. Precious promise from the Lord that he gives us, not just to David, but David shares that unto us. 
May we put it into practice into our lives that others can see Christ in us. That the troubles will not shake us. That we might take an attitude like David. That first part, you're in distress. And then you come to that second part, you've in, got indignation because of the sinfulness going on around you. But then you look unto the Lord with confidence that He is going to work an effectual work to honor and glorify His holy name. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, though David's problems, they are all long gone from now. We can learn from those examples. Sometimes sin gives us trouble, and sometimes faithfulness will give us trouble. But Lord, we realize that whatever happens in our lives, in the lives of your children, your molding us and fashioning us and shaping us into the image of your dear Son. So we ask that you'd have your way with us. That you would guide us into all truth. Make us more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask and pray. Amen.